very challenging set of verses from St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians today. Let us hear them again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. These verses take, they, they merit taking our time. And so we will go through them one by one today. And in doing so, we shall learn, I hope, some extremely valuable lessons. Blessed are they that mourn, and woe unto them that laugh says Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, 4, blessed are them that mourn. And Luke 6, 25, woe unto them that laugh. How then is it that St. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always? When the Lord himself says, blessed are they that mourn, and woe unto them that laugh. Is there a contradiction here? Woe to them that laugh, said Christ. The laughter of this world, which arises from the things which are of this world. He blessed all those that mourn, not simply for the loss of relatives, but those who are pricked in the heart, who mourn for their faults and take count of their own sins. Or even those of others. This joy is not contrary to that grief. But from that grief. It arises. It is born. For he who grieves for his own faults. And confesses them. Rejoices. Moreover it is possible to grieve for our own sins. And yet. To rejoice in Christ. Since then, the Philippians were afflicted by their sufferings. Quote, for to you it is given not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Philippians 1.29 in the opening of the epistle. Therefore, he says, rejoice in the Lord. For this can only mean if you exhibit such a life. Of suffering, you may rejoice. Or when your communion with God is not hindered because of your sins, because of the suffering, then rejoice. Always again I will say, rejoice, he says. These are the words of one who brings comfort. As, for example, he who is in God rejoices always. Although he be afflicted, and whatever he may be suffering, such a man always 
rejoices. Hear what St. Luke says in the book of Acts. That, quote, they returned from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be scourged for his name. Acts chapter 5. If scourging and bonds, which seem to be the most grievous of all things, bring forth joy, what else will be able to produce grief in us? As the apostle says in Romans, if God be for us, who can be against us? Again, I will say, rejoice. Well, he has repeated it. For since the nature of the things of this world and of the things that are afflicting the Philippians were going through and bringing grief to them, he shows by repeating it that they should by all means Rejoice. When we go through griefs and difficulties, do we pass through them with gritted teeth and clenched fists? Or do we rejoice? Do we not view these trials as the perfecting of our faith? As the chiseling of a precious jewel? Let your... Let your forbearance be known unto all men, the apostle says. He says earlier, listen carefully, whose God is the belly and whose glory is in their shame. And that they mind earthly things. These are the people who are oppressing the Philippians. It was probable that, would, that they would be at enmity with these wicked people. That they would be at odds. He therefore exhorted them to have nothing in common with them. Quote, the Lord is at hand. In nothing be anxious. Why would he sell this? Why would he say this? Do the wicked ever rise in opposition? Don't they? And if you see them living in luxury, do you, are you not afflicted with jealousy and envy? For the people who are very much not in God, who are doing you wrong, who appear to be succeeding, do they not afflict you with luxury, with their luxury? Do they not afflict you with envy, with jealousy, with Longing for what they have. The Philippians were suffering under these who had God for their belly. But already the judgment is near. Shortly they would give account of their actions. Are you in affliction and they in luxury? But these things shall shortly receive their end. Do they plot against you and threaten you? In nothing be anxious, the apostle says. The judgment is already at hand when these things shall be reversed. In nothing be anxious. If you are kindly affected towards those who prepare evil against you, if you are exercising temperance and hospitality 
and kindness and praying for them. Yet it shall not at last turn out to their profit, this evil that they do. Already the recompense is at hand. If poverty, if death, if anything else that is terrible be upon you. I remember being anxious during the three or so times that I've been investigated at work for my Christian views. For people who reported me to human resources, calling me a racist, a bigot, a misogynist, a conspiracy theorist. I remember thinking, would I be unable, God, to continue feeding my family? Would I lose my home? Would I be thrown out of this country? Would I have to move back with my parents or my in-laws? Would I have to go in shame, in loss of reputation? It is easy to feel anxious when your enemies plot against you. And it would have been easy for me to lash out at human resources and say, yell, curse, how dare you? I have freedom of speech. I am able to do as I please in the public space. I do not answer to you. May God curse you for what you have done. I could have done that. But instead, I was, I attempted to be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. I apologize for any inconvenience that my unacceptable views had caused them. I did not change my views. I did not hide them or suppress them. But I prayed to God that he would look after me and my family. And I prayed to God that these people who were investigating me would be persuaded of the truth and would become dear brothers and sisters. Quote, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We should be consoled by what the apostle says. The Lord is at hand. And when the Lord Jesus said to us in the gospel of St. Matthew, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. And yet there is still more consolation, a medicine which heals grief and distress and all that is painful. And what is this? Prayer. Thanksgiving in all things. And so he wills that our prayers should not simply be requests, but thanksgivings too for what we have. I remember one of the very first lessons that I taught the children when they prayed was that they shouldn't just ask for things. 
Please, may I watch TV? Please, may I play video games? Please, may I have cookies and candy all the time? <coughs> Every day, please, 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 may I have this, may I have that? Please, may my brother not bother me. <laughs> That's all I heard in those first few prayers. <coughs> and also, please stop the sin of other people. Please make sure Ignatius doesn't lie. Please make sure Augustine doesn't scream. Please make sure so-and-so doesn't do this, so-and-so doesn't do that. It's all requests and pointing to the sins of other people. So I told them, start your prayers by thanking God for some things that you do have now, today, here, right now. For how should anyone ask for future things who is not thankful for the past? But in everything by prayer and supplication. Wherefore we ought to give thanks for all things, even for those which seem to be grievous. I was astonished by my friend James when I went to visit him a few months back. I might have mentioned to some of you that he suffers from motor neuron disorder where he is losing control of his muscles. The muscles are perfectly healthy, but the nerves that go to the muscle, their ends, whatever the mechanism and on the ends of the, of the nerves, die and stop communicating the signal from the brain to the muscle. And so the muscle stops being exercised and they atrophy, they lose weight. And even some critical muscles that we don't consciously control stop functioning. Went to see him and he was maybe two-thirds of the weight that he was before and he wasn't a large man previously. He was an average-sized man. He looked like a man in the Holocaust camp. He couldn't speak. He couldn't walk. But he could text with one pinky. And he would have his phone. His daughter would bring his phone and he'd prop it here, and he would just text. And that's how he would communicate. And the first things he communicated to me when I came to visit him was, amazingly, I thank God for this affliction that he has given me. Because in this affliction, I have grown closer to him. I have discovered my reliance upon him. I have improved in my walk with God. And his wife too. You know the scriptures talk about how a believing spouse is a blessing and a covering to an unbelieving spouse. She is 
Jewish. And I have seen her 15 years ago go from someone who could not stand to hear the name of Jesus because she had gone to Hasidic summer camps which taught her to hate Christians and to view them as enemies. My friend, when they were married, was not an ardent Christian. He was just a baby, beginning in his baby steps, not even attending Sunday service, but just believing in the abstract idea of God. And so she found no fault to, uh, no objection to marrying such a one. But as his faith grew, and I could see that she would not go to church, he would caution me to not speak about the name of Jesus in her presence, for it was an offense to her. And I have seen now through his 15 years of perseverance, how she attends church with him, how she has supported the baptizing of their children, how she supports the teaching of the New Testament in her home to her children, and how she said when I entered the house, God is an amazing God, how he has blessed us with James, and in this affliction, how it is so clear how he is merciful and gracious to us. And I pray that this redound in her salvation, that this blessing lead to the saving of her soul. For God acknowledges prayers, but others he knows not. Offer up such prayers as may be acknowledged. For he disposes all things for our profit. Though we may not even realize it. And this is a proof. That it greatly profits. Namely that we don't know how. The Apostle Paul says. And the peace of God. Which passes all understanding shall guard or keep your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. It is wonderful to hear the blessing that we say and that the church has said from Scripture for hundreds and hundreds of years. But if we stop and we look at the meaning, what does it mean, the peace of God? Which He has wrought towards men surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? For who could have expected... Who could have hoped that such good things would have come? They exceed all man's understanding. Not his speech, not man's speech alone, but his whole understanding. For God's own enemies, for those who hated him, he sent, as we heard today, John the Baptist to declare what was coming. And to those he sent a son. For God's enemies, for those who hated him, for those who determined to turn themselves away, for these he delivered up his only begotten son. This surely, if anything, 
surpasses our understanding. That he might make peace with us. This peace then, this reconciliation, the love of God, shall guard your hearts and your thoughts. It is a proof that it is to our benefit that it surpasses our understanding. For we have that in Christ Jesus. And this is the part of a teacher. Not only to exhort, but also to pray. And to assist by supplication. That they may neither be overwhelmed by temptations. Nor carried about by deceit. As if St. Paul has said, may he who has delivered you. In such sort as mind cannot comprehend, may he himself guard you and secure you so that you suffer no ill. Either he means this or that peace of which Christ says, quote, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. This shall guard you for this peace exceeds all men's understanding. How? When he tells us to be at peace with our enemies, with those who treat us unjustly, with those who are at war and enmity towards us, is it not beyond man's understanding? I was talking to Brother Dan this morning before church about the difficult relationship that I have with my father, who, as it were, seems uninterested in seeing his grandchildren and his family. Who, even though I am willing to make vast efforts and expend vast sums of money to go see him thousands of miles away, cannot even bother to have a conversation with his wife, my stepmother, to ask if it is okay if we would stay in his house. For such a conversation would be Too difficult to have for him. And so he ignores the conversation and he ignores the request. And expresses in doing so his indifference, which pricks my heart. And what should I do in response? I try to remain at peace with him. And it surpasses Outsides understanding. The world would have me never to bother with him again. To just wipe my hands clean, walk away, and have no relationship with him. For what point is there? And it hurts me anyway. So why do I keep going? Why do I keep approaching? Because this is what God did for us. For a while... I continued to sin and live in a debauched life at the age of 29. He finally, finally turned my heart to him. Despite three decades of sin. Think of it like this. If the peace surpasses all understanding, much more does God himself who gives peace Pass all understanding, not ours only, but also that of angels and the powers above.
quote, finally, brethren, and we didn't hear it in the reading, but it is the next few verses in the, new ta- in the epistle reading. And these are some of the most beautiful verses. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think of these things. The things which you both learned and received and heard and saw in me. Which means, what means? What does it mean whatsoever things are lovely? Lovely to the faithful. Lovely to God. Whatsoever things are true. Virtue is really true. Vice is falsehood. For the pleasure of it is a falsehood. Pleasure found in vice is itself a falsehood. And its glory is falsehood. And all things of the world are falsehood. Whatsoever things are pure, this is opposed to the words who mind earthly things. Whatsoever things are honorable, this is opposed to the words whose God is their belly. Whatsoever things are just, in other words, he says, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, here he wills them to take thoughts of those things to which regard men. Think on these things, says he. Do you see that he desires to banish every evil thought from our souls? For evil actions spring from thoughts. Out of the heart come all issues of life. The things which you both learned and received. This is teaching. In all his exhortations to propose himself for a model. As he says in another place. Even as you have me as an example. Philippians 3. And again here. What things you learned and received. Have been taught by word of mouth. And heard and saw in me. Do you see how about everything he lays these commands on us? It was not possible to make an articulate, long list, enumeration of all things that he wanted to say to them. How he wanted them to act, how he wanted them to speak. So he says, just do as you heard and saw in me. And this is how we should approach Parenthood, how we should approach parenthood. We should strive to be able to tell our children, do as you see in me. For if we cannot say that, we are failing as parents. We are. If we are unable To go before our children and say, do as I do, then something is wrong. That doesn't mean that we are sinless as the Lord is. It means that when we sin, we grieve, repent, and rejoice. That minimally is as they should do. They should be able to say, as daddy and mommy 
live their lives, as they strive to the holy life, and as they confess, grieve, repent, and rejoice, so shall I. St. Paul is saying, I have led you forward by deeds and words. These things do, not only in words, but do them also. And if you do them, the God of peace shall be with you. In other words, you shall be calm, in great safety. You shall suffer nothing painful, nor contrary to your will. For when we are at peace with him, and we are so through virtue and faith, much more will he be at peace with us. For he so loved us as to show favor to us, even against our will. Nothing is such an enemy of this as vice. And from many things it is evident how vice is at enmity with us and virtue friendly to us. What shall I do? Shall I speak of various sins like fornication? It takes men, it makes men subject to reproach, poor, weak, feeble, objects of ridicule, despicable to all. Just as enemies treat them. Oftentimes it has involved men in disease and danger. Many men have perished or been wounded on behalf of their mistresses or their activities. And if fornication produces these things, much rather does adultery. But what more? Do you want us to look at covetousness? It too treats us like an enemy. It makes us hated by all. It prepares all men to vaunt themselves against us. Both those who have been treated unjustly by us and those who have not, who share the grief of the former and are in fear themselves. All men look upon us as their common foes, as wild beasts, as demons. Everywhere are there innumerable accusations, plots against us, envyings, all which are the acts of enemies. But justice, on the contrary, as opposed to covetousness, makes all men friends, all men sociable, all men well disposed towards us. By all men, prayers are made on our behalf. Our affairs are in perfect safety. There is no danger. There is no suspicion. But sleep also fearlessly comes over us with perfect safety. There isn't a care in the world that would bother us. If we are just. How much better this sort of life is. Is it best to envy or to rejoice with one another? Let us search out all these things. And we shall see that virtue. Like a truly kind mother. Places us in safety. While vice is a treacherous dog. And full of danger. For here the prophet who says, the Lord is a stronghold of them that fear him, and his covenant is to show them. He fears no one who is not conscious to himself of any wickedness. On the contrary, he who lives in crime is never confident, but trembles at his, at his closest family and friends, and looks at them with suspicion, 
always wondering if he's going to be found out. Vice makes our life miserable. More than that, he cannot even bear the tribunal of his own conscience. Not only those who are without, but his inward thoughts affect him. What then, says Paul? He says, do as I do. Whatsoever things are of good report, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are beautiful, think these things. And so we heard today, just from five or six so chap- uh, verses, how to rejoice, how we ought to rejoice in all things. What comfort we find that the Lord is at hand, for judgment is around the corner. How we shouldn't be anxious for anything, but in everything, give prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, and rejoice in all things. A jam-packed section of scripture, which teaches us many things that we should take to heart as we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Christ child. As we hear the words of the apostle of the Baptist, make straight the way. For comes the Christ, the child. Let us therefore take to heart the teaching of the apostle who looks to have us live holy lives, acceptable, worthy to be amongst those who call themselves Christian. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray.